I'm a doctor, a father, an American, an Indian. I've had conversations about life from every angle, and as I've navigated the South Asian experience, I share stories of people and their purpose, and what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and on this week's episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, I'm joined by Ruckus Avenue rapper and hip-hop recording artist, Adi. Stay tuned. Okay, so if you've already familiarized yourself with the youngest of a 16-member Mumbai household who's blending style, fashion sense, traditional and brand new musical sounds together with the pulse of New York and the vibe of LA, then you may as well just keep scrolling through your content. Okay, wait a minute. Of course, before you do anything, please subscribe to the podcast. Keep listening on Ruckus Avenue Radio and the Dash Radio app. Follow us on social media at MyGoodFraint. And of course, share this with all your friends. But if you're not so familiar with that person, then it's time to listen to this conversation with Adi, an emerging Ruckus Avenue rap and hip-hop artist. Given this backdrop, his music feels natural and almost inevitable, but in a fresh, easy, and comfortable way, without the trappings of trying to merge East and West clunkily together. Adi's energetic, intelligent, and unique stylings are the result of a lot of introspection, social consciousness, and really just plain fun being who he is and expressing it effortlessly through his art. Adi's talent and interests are broad and flow into art and fashion, but his music and sound are emerging fast. His five-track EP, Pigeonhold, released last year and his newest single, Worthwhile, drops this week, with an EP called Heat of the Moment due out later this summer. We caught up for a conversation and started chatting about his journey and how being a New Yorker influences his art and music. Once I moved here, oh my God, like my sleep cycle has completely changed. I have to, I have to, I, on, I can only sleep by 1am to be up by 7am. It's horrible. Like the noise, everything is just terrible. But the fact that you can step out of the door and be in the heart of so much energy is worth it to me as a young man, you know? Well, I mean, that, that chaos is probably, you know, necessary this idea that you, you know, the city's awake at, you know, 3.30 in the morning is, is probably the best feeling or, or for some, maybe the worst feeling. <laughs> it's, I'll tell you one thing, it's the closest I've felt like I've been home. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, do you think that's the easiest spot to feel at home, especially as someone whose roots are in Mumbai? Yes. I think New York is, is easily the easiest way to feel at home because a, there's a, there's a huge Indian community in New York as well, right. which, I mean, I don't really care about that. I love that they are here, but um, it's just, I love the noise. I love everything happening around me because I draw a lot of my inspiration to write or create from people around me. So yeah. the more, the merrier. Well, and so tell me a little bit about that. What elements so far of being a New Yorker, having roots in Mumbai, are allowing you to integrate that into your art, whether it's in the music directly or in the writing. Tell us a little bit about that. When I was in, in Mumbai, um, I would say all of my writing was very family driven. I liked looking at perspectives of my mother, my dad, my, I mean, y- you would know this up here, like the pressures that you feel from, uh, you know, the generation above you. 
And I was lucky enough to have parents that pushed me to do music, but my parents didn't have that. So I always, I was always fascinated by kind of the cultural realm that India puts you in and how you function within it. So all of my writing when I was back home stemmed from that. And then once I got here, you, this, it was the first time I felt independence and kind of freedom to, you know, find my own identity. So I started looking at people around me from, let's say, like everyone I met in college, like my best friends from Greece, another one from Vietnam. And I never had that exposure. So to now go from only writing within my community to kind of delving into all these other perspectives on life just gave me so much material to work with. Are those windows that open the the sort of stepping out of your your zone, so to speak, right? And and finding your identity and and understanding a little bit more about who you are. How is that? How is that transformed? Maybe not just the art or the music itself, but the velocity of how that actually becomes a discovery mm-hmm. process. Does it make it so that boy, it's that much easier to become inspired because there's so much more out there that you're discovering? I love that question. So I always talk about this being that, let's say with with the genre I do, right? Hip hop. In India, it's such a new genre. The one good aspect of, it, aspect of it is that most people will accept almost anything that you put out because yeah. they haven't heard it. So they're willing to listen to almost anything. With that said, there's no bar for how good it should be because there hasn't been anything. So when you come to the US and you're surrounded by people who've known this culture for so long, I remember the first time I was on stage in college I literally felt like the worst musician ever. And I, and it was, it was such a good feeling because you're like, oh shit, I thought I knew everything about this, but there's so much more to learn. Yeah. There's so much more to learn. Well, and, and, and just on, on that point, I mean, you know, some would feel discouraged, but it sounds like that was motivating for you. Oh yeah. I, I, I hate being the dumbest in the room. I'd never want to be that. So I, I mean, I love surrounding myself with the smartest people but I always strive to beat them and I love competition. So like, that's why I love the city. It's always so packed and like, you have to just compete. It's, yeah. I don't know. And I had a huge sports background, so maybe it comes from there. As a, a person who's competitive, as someone who has been growing in this, in this genre back home, it sounds like, again, like there's the, the spaces or the context is different here or even globally where hip hop is, is a lot more prominent and evolving for that matter. Definitely. You know, have you found it easier to in some ways create and expand or even for that matter, find your own niche within hip hip hop? I think I've, I've done a really good balancing act of taking everything that I learned growing up in India. So I was put into tabla classes early on. My grandfather handed me his Muhammad Rafi records and all of these cats, right? And then coming here and listening to the greats of jazz or going into my songwriting class and, you know, he's playing me, what is it? Um, records that I've never heard before. Like I yeah. didn't know these writers existed. A, a great American writers. Yeah. Uh, Chopin, you know, just classic things like that. Right. And I, I, I try to bridge the gap between those two. So I'll sample Muhammad Rafi, but I'll have... Uh, let's say a sax that is very reminiscent of something you'd listen to in jazz. And then I have bars to come with, you know, it's just like, I love doing that. That's my favorite thing to do. 
when you when you mix all these genres or when you're thinking about sort of inspiration is there it's it's so awesome to draw on these have you found that slowly but surely it develops your own style and and now your own uh flavor of that music like it becomes something that much so unique that it itself is now a, a separate sort of class of music oh definitely i see all art i see all artists that where you just That's draw true inspiration from so many different people that you confuse yourself into thinking you have your own style. <laughs> well, so, and, and does it, does it make it hard as an artist because of that, that like, okay, well, everything's a copycat and nothing's a copycat. I, I embrace the truth of it. So I don't yeah. mind that I'm copying, you know, Michael Jackson and Lil Wayne and yeah. all of these, but who else is doing that at the same time? That's right. what makes it unique. Tell me what about, um, you know, you mentioned that whether it's tabla or your parents were very good at, at sort of pushing you into this or at least helping support you. Are there other genres of art, whether they're fashion, design, uh, painting, uh, that, that now also bleed into this work and inspire you in the same way? Oh, I love that question because we're working on so many different things other than music. Um, my dad's entire business had to do with fabric. So every Saturday, because in India, you work Saturdays as well. Every Saturday that I got off from school, I would accompany him to the office. And I got obsessed with fabrics to the point where like, I was, you know, I knew like the blends that I liked and stuff like that. It was right. so weird for like a 12 year old to be like, no mom, I like the uh, Lycra polyester blend <laughs> more than, you know, Yeah. but uh, that really, that connected so well to when uh, we went ahead to, kind of make merchandise because what I noticed in the industry is that this like Travis Scott will sell a $50 t-shirt that lost me three washes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to do that to people who are investing so much money in me. Sure. So we, we went about finding like the best material, the best printing technology that'll make sure that, you know, you can wear this t-shirt for 20, 30 washes and be okay. And like your $20 is not poorly spent. So fashion is a huge thing that I'm interested in. And I want to, eventually get into my own kind of uh boutique that i want to set up yeah and other than that the most the thing i'm most passionate about is video production so all my music videos everything uh on youtube that is under my name is all shot edited by me and a couple of friends and i want to take that to like a production company level where we do videos and i'm, I'm just fascinated by video production it sounds like for you, this is all kind of the same universe, whether it's yep. video, whether it's fashion, whether it's music. Do you find that they all bleed into each other? Like when you're thinking about a song that you're you're composing or a particular T-shirt you're designing, you're thinking of, hey, what am I wearing when I'm making the song or what music am I listening to when I'm actually creating the T-shirt? <laughs> I, I don't I don't think I do that. I wish I did. I wish I was crazy enough to do that but yeah. i think it's i like you said it's all part of the same universe like they all yeah. connect very well so i don't really have to and if i'm the one who's creating all three of them by proxy there's going to be some some overlapping between everything you know and are, are you the type of person who can uh you know multitask well that way 
you know, some, some are so great at it and others are like, well, I, I have to stay. I mean, those like me, I have to like, okay, do things in serial where I'm like, all right, one task, second task, third task. What, how would you describe sort of your creative process? Oh, I'm just like you. Like if I'm editing a music video for a week, there's no way I'm opening logic up and trying to make a song. You know, <laughs> it's like, let me just handle this. Right. One, one step at a time, so to speak. Yeah. I want to get better at delegating responsibility like hiring an editor or i'm just i I think that's the worst quality about me is that i i just hate giving up control but it's i i know how bad that is i'm trying to like actively work towards not doing that is that a important aspect of success as an artist which is maintaining the control over what you create but allowing a team or allowing others to now help that blossom even more? How do you balance that? Yeah, I think it's very important. I think it's the reason I've struggled the most. Um, uh, right now, I, I mean, I'm working with Sammy and Tanya, my two managers. They're the first people I'm ever working with. And it, I think it also comes from a place where like, I don't, I have like trust issues with, with you know, trusting people that they have the best interest in me. Yeah. Uh, but it's just a matter ending the right people i think and once you do you just let them go ahead because like i've worked with i've worked with directors who i gave complete control to because i saw stuff that they did and it was amazing it was something better than i could have ever done and that's the kind of people that i want to work with it's like oh you just showed me a completely new way of doing something that i didn't know right you, you do it you're better you're better than than me literally well, and is that as a competitive person, you know, there's a, there's a deep humility to that. Um, is that tough to do as someone who is, you know, constantly looking for achievement and striving and, and sort of developing that, that reassurance in yourself? Yeah, I think the, I think <laughs> the, the, the most challenging part of being competitive and then giving them the humility is that underneath, I'm always like, you take the humility while you have it. I'm coming for you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Watch out. And it keeps them on their toes as well. You know, like they have to work harder. So I'm just right. like, because if, if I'm putting in 12 hours of editing, there's no way my editor is putting in 11 because then he's not my editor. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Good point. Tell me one thing. I mean, does that, how does that translate to the, in the, on the performance side, uh, you know, especially as someone who's meticulous and very detail oriented when it comes to editing, sounds like, of course, the studio environment is a natural one, but how does that translate to when you're on stage and when you're performing? I would say early on in my stage performances, I didn't realize how much you could plan it. I thought that, oh, it's just like, a, you know, something that you kind of lose yourself and you interact with the audience and stuff like that. But recently I've realized that you can plan everything. Yeah. I, and like, you can do that with, with literally in between songs, which jokes are going to tell. Yeah. I, I'm so meticulous that I, that I do exactly that. I even anticipate their reactions. I anticipate two or more reactions and then have different storylines based on right. how they react. But I, I, I mean, I think, that is my greatest asset, which is why I play into it. 
but I wish I could be more, more like, you know, the John Mayers who are just up there talking to their audience and just being cool as shit. Like I can't, I just, I'm not that cool. (laughs) Well, it's kind of this balance between, um, you know, carefully manicuring your presentation versus the spontaneity. Does that, does that get better as you become more experienced or, or does it actually forecast you saying, well, actually the more experience I get, the better it is for me to carefully manicure everything out. No, I think I want I want I want to lean towards the spontaneity. For example, the show that we did in LA, uh, before I performed one of my favorite tracks back home, which is my mom's favorite track. What I did was, um, she's in she's in Mumbai and she hasn't seen me for like nine months. I miss her a lot, so I just FaceTimed her on stage, yeah. and I was like, you know, the audience really loved that, and I handed it off to an audience member to like hold it while I performed, and by the end of the song. My mom is weeping on the, on FaceTime <laughs> yeah. and I felt just so bad. But like, as part of the experience, everyone enjoyed that song so much more because my mom was on FaceTime watching. So well, that was something spontaneous that I wish I had thought of, but because I didn't think of it was so much more genuine. I was going to say, what a terrific story, right? I mean, and, and that storytelling probably uh, has a snowball effect, right? So uh, with each performance, which e- with each studio production, Hopefully the stories build and build your, your new EP. What were some of the surprises or even some of the discoveries you made artistically as you were, you were developing this? So I would say the biggest surprise to me was how little I rapped on this. Um, (laughs) I don't know because the last project we put out was called pigeonholed. Uh, That was in October of 2020. So like the peak of the pandemic and um, everything on that project was to do with constraint because I felt like people were locked in. There was a song called Locked In back home. I was back home, you know, I had to go there because I couldn't stay in America for longer. And um, everything was very related to the concept of being constrained. And now with the heat at the moment, I feel like everyone's out Everyone wants to celebrate the fact that we all got through this together. And music really dictates the way we function in social situations, whether it's a concert or at the club or anything. So I wanted to make music that people can enjoy and dance to. And I don't think I've done that before. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but all my music has been very melancholic. (laughs) And and yeah, I just, I was just like, should I reevaluate my life right now? <laughs> what? But I just wanted to make music that my friends could enjoy too, because that's what I want to, that's what I want to do this summer. Literally. That's all I want to do. Would you say that the, the newer items then are more of an expression of togetherness and us and, and we're, we're all doing this as opposed to maybe your own personal expressions from the past? Yes. Exactly right. And I would also say that it's kind of an, like a reminder that Abhay, when you were, when the pandemic first started, like the first two months, what were the things you missed the most? Originally, there was this new discovery of, of time. In fact, this podcast was born out of that, right? Mm-hmm. But slowly but surely, I think all of us started really, really missing the sort of human connections that that we share. Did you miss certain things like, you know, going to the restaurant, like your favorite restaurant or going to to the movie theater? Yeah. And so in the same way, I don't think I actually missed the the restaurant itself 
or the movie theater. Oh, yeah, or just like, the environment of being there. And, and, or, or them. But you know what I missed a lot is I missed actually being with people in those, mm-hmm. in those spots. It, it could be, you know, I, I didn't so-called miss the beach, but I missed being together with people at the beach. You know, For sure. Uh, the reason I asked that is because um, I spoke to a lot of people and they all, I mean, most of my friends said the same exact thing that, they miss yeah. being, they don't miss the food at the restaurant, but they miss being in that restaurant with the three people that they love. And um, I just wanted this, this EP, the heat of the moment to be a reminder that when you are back in that restaurant with the three people you love, don't like, don't be on your phone, be with them, be in the moment with them, because like you said, you missed it. So then enjoy it. Yeah. And, and it's very easy for humans to forget that they, they felt a certain way. I feel like, even me, like I missed going to the cinema a lot. I love going to movies and stuff like that. But since I could, I haven't been to one. Right. I haven't been to one. Right. And it's just crazy. It's like, we, we just, we don't know what we feel most of the time. So just, you know, live in the moment, be in the moment, be with the people that you love and just celebrate with them while you can. That, that idea of, you know, being present and, you know, sort of like, again, putting down your phone, does it speak to the almost transient or disposable nature of how people think even about art these days? Does that mean that, you know, what does it take for art or even your, your process or even the presentations you make to be, to have a, a longevity? Longevity is one of my favorite words. Um, I think it is so important and people right now take it for granted when my managers like connect me with social media people and they're all like, okay, Adi, five TikToks a day, five reels a day, you have to do it. And I was like, come on, like you're wasting people's attention. If you have their attention, don't devalue it by just doing something that you think is going to get you clicks and views. And it, it doesn't matter because in the long run, you're going to lose out on their attention. Mm. So when, for example, when I make a reel, I script it out. I, shoot it on like a nice camera i edit it for eight hours and then i'll put it up you know and i know that's overkill but i know that when people are watching that 60 second clip i have their attention for 60 seconds yeah. and whenever i post something again they're gonna come back and be like okay he didn't waste my time so i'm gonna i'm gonna invest my time in him again well it's the quality over the quantity right and and i love that i think that has to be a lot of people's mission statements, you know, for them to say, he didn't waste my time. That's actually, <laughs> that's probably a critical. That's such a low bar. That's such a is, low bar. Right? <laughs> or heat of the moment and for some of these other presentations that you've had in, in the past, you know, be- because the connectivity of the world is so great, right? It allows us to celebrate local or even American-born arts like hip-hop globally. But But in that way, does it make it easier to to crystallize and capture the blending of these styles like whether it's hip-hop from uh india or you know americans who are making traditionally indian in music mm-hmm. you know but does it also then keep it harder to keep that stuff fresh and unique in the in the same way i think if you do it in a way where you integrate yourself with what you're trying to do then it comes off as very genuine and i think that's why people like drake have lasted so long is because when the the UK scene was popping off, he integrated himself with them and made songs there. And people really were like, okay, this is genuine. He's not just coming on a song to like, you know, take this culture with him. 
when he does something with the, uh, like with the Jamaican style of music, he'll he'll integrate himself with that culture. He'll put Jamaican artists on who are probably smaller. So if you do it in that way, I think it's it's one of the best ways to grow. Mm. And and that's what I want to do. Like I'm I'm currently working with a lot of artists all over the world. And they are, you know, integrating themselves with my culture and I'm doing it with theirs. So it's, yeah. it's very genuine, the result of that. Well, and I mean, it, it hopefully prevents your art from being siloed to saying that like, hey, this yeah. is just the only way that you can experience this. For you, what's, uh, what's next and up and coming now? Um, what's on the horizon for Adi? So one week from now, actually, today is... The 22nd, 29th is my 23rd birthday. And I'm putting nice. out the single Worthwhile that you may have heard in, uh, it, I don't know if you have, but you may have heard Worthwhile. That's the first single from Heat of the Moment. Yeah. And then August 20th is when the entire EP rolls out. By the end of this year or the beginning of next, my debut album on the way. So so lots of things. And as this journey you know, continues for you, are there moments of it as, you know, you have releases of a single, hopefully releases soon of, of your album, what reflections do you have on items or, or your journey from the past that, you know, allow you to celebrate them in a sort of more special way? Are there, are there elements of your, your, you know, sort of previous incarnations, if you will, <laughs> that, that when you reflect on these successes now, you're like, wow, the, those, I look at those differently, or I look at those, you know, more or, or perhaps even less fondly. Have you at all felt any of those kinds of kind of epiphanies? In, oh, in definitely. All the time. I, I constantly think to myself that I have no idea what good music is because the songs that I think will perform the worst or that people won't like are generally what people like the most. And I think it comes like, for example, uh, I had put out this one song called Rain Gold two years ago. Mm -hmm. And that's actually the song that Sammy listened to that he loved so much that he got me on his roster. That's the kind of breakout song that people from India know me, knew me, uh, knew me from and everything. And I made that song in half a day and I just put it out as like, as fun. I just like put it out because I was like, oh, I made this cool thing in half a day. Let's just see yeah. where it goes. And yeah. it ends up being like the biggest song that I've made so far. <laughs> then for, then when I was back home, the first song that I made was actually using this mic, which I don't really use to record um, in my, in my parents, like kind of guest room. Yeah. Um, and the quality of the mic and everything was terrible, but that was the first song that got picked up by a label. Yeah. And I was like, this is so weird. Like, I don't, I really don't know. I think at the end of the day, it's just like the energy that you can convey with, with what you're doing that kind of speaks to people. So you just have to maintain that relaxed state when you're in the studio. That's why like Michael Jordan, tongue out, relaxed. You say, right. you know, they're all relaxed. You just have yeah. to thrive when you're relaxed. Is that the the ultimate state of acceptance then of just saying, look, I am who I am. Here's what I do. And please uh, either like it or not. Yeah. And I, I would go a step further to say that you have to be in the state where you don't even care about like it or don't like you don't, you don't even think about that. You're literally just making it do make it. Yeah. And, and uh, one of my friends said this in a really nice way where he was like, once you make the art, it's not yours. 
it's not yours to decide what happens with it, how people feel. You just put it out into the world and they decide. You have no say once you've made it. I was going to say, listen, we're all appreciating it as the story unfolds. And uh, Adi, so much to look forward to. Thank you so much for being on with us. And we hope you'll come back and join us again. Oh, definitely. This was so much fun. Thank you so much, Adi. Thanks so much, Adi. Remember that while you're enjoying the Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing experience, no flash photography of any kind is allowed. Remember to collect all your belongings, too, because we really don't have any kind of lost and found here. Till next time, I'm Abhay Dharnika. By yourself and now you need my help like it's all dream Nah love, I'm cool, I just stopped by the pool If I bake me a cake, then I ate that shit too If I play me the bass, 4 a.m. hit the booth Early bird, get the worm, now how you want my food? Uh. Pigeonhole, I'm shitting on these bitches when they In the cradle, my dad is my label My friends are my reps and I'm managed by angels Work through the weekend, I'm way more than able And tables will turn when we're turned on the table Do my own press and I wrote my own fables I sent them to text but the iPhone disabled End of the day man, if I'm just a product Then what can I say, I guess labels will label Pigeon hold, I'm shitting on these bitches When Hi, this is Suraj Kundakuri from Brown People We Know. Listen to Ruckus Avenue Radio at dashradio.com and download the Dash Radio app for complete access 24 hours a day, 7 days a week to our station.